All right, so thank you for sharing that. I, I feel like I know you. I know you more as an individual. So what I want you to do now is we're going to jump into the sermon for tonight. So if you have your uh, phone um, and you have the YouVersion Bible app downloaded, I would love for you to get out the YouVersion Bible app. If you're um, unsure of how to get to all of the sermon notes, uh, there might be a person that's next to you that knows how to do that. Uh, really quickly, if you open the app on the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see the three lines. It says more, and then about in the, if you uh, tap that, go to the middle, and it'll say events. Click on events or touch, whatever you call that on a phone. What is that? Tap? Okay, you tap the events, and then you'll see Bethel Youth will uh, light up or show up, and you, you tap that, and then you hit save event, and then um, you will have links to our audio podcast where you can find our audio versions of our sermons, uh, links to give to missions, also links to register to LCYC or any other events. Um, it's really great to be able to follow along with what's happening. If you want to write your notes, that is totally fine, and that is totally awesome. So we're going to be jumping back into the book of, of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. And so as you're finding Mark chapter 11, if you do have a paper Bible, um, or if you're kind of scrolling through on the YouVersion Bible app, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. And it's been a few months since we've been uh, in the book of Mark. We took a break from it. Uh, to do Can I Ask That, and we will revisit Can I Ask That here in a few months. Um, so I want to kind of catch you up to speed of what's been taking place in the Gospel of Mark. You could consider the Gospel of Mark as uh, kind of like a biography of Jesus's life. And so Jesus has been traveling all around the area surrounding Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. So he has been teaching. He has been healing. Um, he's been casting out demons from people. And he has been causing an absolute ruckus, as middle-aged people might say. Uh, <laughs> do middle-aged people say that? I don't actually know. It just sounds maybe like that. A bunch of silly gooses. So uh, the causing a ruckus because what Jesus is doing is he's causing a rift um, in the traditions of the Jewish beliefs. And so he was teaching what the kingdom of God was to be like. And God's vision for the people of Israel was not going how it was intended to go. The religious leaders of the Jewish tradition, they were corrupt. They were teaching people the uh, ways of following God that were burdensome. And they were not true to the scriptures. Remember, um, you might know this from your history class, but a lot of people in the ancient world uh, couldn't read. Some of them could, most of them couldn't, uh, but the, the holy like Hebrew scriptures, uh, they were not mass produced. The Gutenberg uh, printing press has not happened yet, and so they have no way of really like uh, mass producing the scriptures. And so what would happen is people would come to a temple or a synagogue, and there would be um, a priest uh, or a, a religious leader, they would teach the scriptures to the people. And so what you had to do was trust that uh, that person was teaching you correctly. Um, and a lot of times they weren't teaching correctly. And, you know, the joy of, of technology today is you can fact check everything. You can make sure that what I'm saying is true. You can make sure that, you know, people that you come across on social media talking about God and the Bible and following uh, Jesus, you can fact check those things to make sure that they are true. But they didn't have that luxury back then. 
And Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God um, to the earth, and he was beginning to unite heaven and earth together. And where we left off a few months ago was at the beginning of chapter 11. He, Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on this donkey. The people were praising him. They were declaring him uh, the Messiah, the Savior of the people, which was correct. But the thing was is they thought Jesus was going to save them from uh, something different than what Jesus came to save them from. They thought Jesus and they wanted Jesus to save them from the oppression of the Roman government, but that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to uh, deliver them from the oppressive rule of sin in their life. So at this point uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we're about on the timeline, we're about one week away from Jesus's crucifixion. And the events that we're going to be studying and looking at over the next few weeks are important and significant. And so tonight we're going to read a passage where Jesus seems a little on edge and does something that you might not expect. And so I want to invite my wife Megan to come up here. Um, she is going to read our text. So would you stand? That's right. She is awesome. So if you'd stand with us as we read Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. Okay. Ooh, okay, here we go. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Dude, reading in front of people is no joke. Just saying. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Just by a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever been hangry before? Oh, my gosh, everybody. Um, I'm kind of bummed that Brittany left. Um, Brittany gets hangry a lot. Um, and I'm not talking behind her back, so I literally tell it to her face. And um, it's kind of a running joke among just, like, the leaders and stuff like that. And when she was in school of ministry, um, it was pretty funny. She always had snacks because she gets very hangry. But I don't know about how y you react when you get really hungry. Um, 
My, my body, I was just actually just telling Ben this yesterday, one of our youth leaders, um, I get like my head starts to hurt really bad, I get a really bad headache, and my stomach feels, starts to feel weird, my body feels weird, and because of all of those, those things, it kind of makes me like irritable. And uh, I don't know how you guys are, but that's the way that I am. And um, when we read this passage, uh, it seems like that's uh, what's happening to Jesus, right? <laughs> It's like he's hungry, and he's like, curse you, fig tree. Then he walks into Jerusalem, and then he's like, y'all get out of here, and starts like flipping crap over, and like they're like scattering all these animals, and money's flying, and he's cursing these people, and he calls them out on their crap that they're doing, and uh, this is kind of intense. I don't know if you've ever read this story. Maybe maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've never actually read it or studied it. Um, I know it's not the same thing, but there's a word, there's a picture that comes into my head. When I think of Jesus, like, walking into the temple, uh, well, first of all, cursing the fig tree, and it's like he's walking to Jerusalem on a mission, comes into the temple like John Cena, like, into the ring, you know, where it's like, do-do-do-do, you know, big sweatbands and stuff. Um, I know that's not what Jesus was doing, but it's kind of like the picture that comes to mind when I, when I read this passage, and... Um, like I said, obviously this is not how it played out. Um, he did not have sweatbands around his wrist, and he was not uh, going there to own people like that. But Jesus wasn't hangry. Uh, he wasn't just reacting, but he was actually being very strategic, and there was a reason for what he was doing. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through this chunk of text uh, a few verses at a time. My hope is that over the course of the next 20 minutes, um, it makes sense to you. So let's go back to verses 12 through 14. Let's read those, and let's talk about it. It says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. We'll talk about what that means. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. So, you know, if you just, if you quickly read this, if you read this at face value, um, like I have done um, tens of times, it seems as if uh, Jesus is cursing this fig tree because he's mad that it doesn't have any fruit on it and he's hungry. And um, like I said, this is what I have thought of this passage. This passage has, I've kind of just read it and skipped over it because it just makes absolutely no sense. But I can't do that now because this is just where we are at in our study of Mark. And from my studying and from my reading, um, Jesus uh, cursing the fig tree has little to do with the actual tree, but it's actually a picture of the nation of Israel. I didn't realize this, but um, the scriptures often use figs to symbolize and represent Israel. That was kind of interesting. So what does this fig tree and the nation of Israel and Jesus flipping tables and like casting people out of the temple, um, what, what do those things have in common? So let's talk about the tree, the fig tree. Verse 13, I'm pretty much a botanist now. Uh, after doing this study, not really. Um, but verse 13 says that the tree was in leaf. So this means that this tree was really, really bushy. It had green leaves, which these green leaves signified something. They said, and they told people, like the bush didn't talk, but these leaves said, I have fruit on me. Like I, my, my tree, my bush is full of figs. And uh, even though it was not the season for figs, there was a high possibility that this tree 
um, can produce figs even though it's not in the technical season. Did you know, here's a fun fact of the day, you can go home and tell your parents this, fig trees produce as few as three crops per season, but depending on your climate and location, you could have upwards of 10 to 12 crops of figs per year. How interesting, I know. So this tree having leaves, being at the height um, or the higher elevation of Jerusalem, it was very likely that it had figs on it, but it didn't. So the tree's appearance, this is very important. This is where the connection is between the tree and Israel. So the tree's appearance did not reflect what was actually happening. So what does this have to do with the nation of Israel? Like the fig tree, the nation of Israel has the appearance of fruit Because it's bustling, the temple is busy, there are ceremonies, there are rituals, there are people flooding the temple, there's holidays being celebrated. But the reality is what Israel was producing did not reflect its appearance. The nation was corrupt, it was sinful, it was exploiting people in the name of God. There's an encounter that Jesus had um, with some religious leaders. And kind of if you're following this this timeline of Jesus' ministry, it would have been just a day or so after the story that we are studying tonight. Uh, Jesus calls out these Pharisees, these religious leaders for their hypocrisy and their desire to make people think they are loyal to God. But on the inside, they were dead and full of decay because of the sin in their heart and the pride in their life. They were not following God. They were profiting off of God. So you can see that Jesus rebuking this tree is less about the tree, but an illustration as to what is happening with Israel and what's going to happen next. So let's read verses 15 and 16. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Okay, so what is happening here? Who are the people that are buying and selling? Why are they buying and selling? And why is Jesus angry at them. As you read this passage, these are some of the the questions that that I was asking, um, and we're going to try to answer those things. The people buying were Jews who, who had made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem from the surrounding areas for the Passover celebration. So Passover was a week-long purification process in order for them to be able to partake in the Passover meal. And I'm not going to get into this in detail. We don't have time to do that. But if you want to research Passover, you totally can. Um, It is fairly interesting. So history tells us that when people would make this pilgrimage, when they would make this trek to Jerusalem for Passover, they would need to go to the temple to sacrifice an animal to begin this purification process. And this was a way for them to offer a sacrifice. Blood would be shed to cover the sins of them as an individual and them as a family. The problem was some people, depending on how far they traveled, it just didn't make sense for them to bring their own animal with them because it would have been too difficult. So for some, 
uh, the animals. They just didn't want to bring them. For some, the animals that they had at their, at their house and at their farm, they weren't up to the standard needed to make the sacrifice. They had imperfections. They weren't perfect. And so the Jewish leaders and teachers in Jerusalem wanted to help them out. So they created this system. They created this process so they would have uh, pigeons, doves, lambs, and goats for people to offer their sacrifices to God. But the catch is they were not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They saw an opportunity to make a profit. They were, they were charging an astronomically high price for these animals to make a profit because it was supply and demand. Maybe this is like the first glimpse of capitalism right here. Supply and demand, it drove the price of these animals up. And the Jewish people would also, they would need to pay a tax to the temple. You could think of it kind of like a tithe or an offering to the temple. And uh, they were in the Roman Empire, so obviously the currency that they used was Roman. And so that is the currency they had, but they couldn't pay the temple tax with the Roman, heathen, dirty money. They had to then exchange the Roman money for the Tyran currency, which was the closest thing to the Hebrew shekel that was used by the temple. So because the Roman currency wasn't good enough, what did they do? The exchange rate was crazy. So these leaders, these Jewish people, the, the teachers of the law, they were ripping people off left and right. And as you can imagine, Jesus was frustrated by this. And this was part of the motivation of Jesus flipping the tables, getting rid of all of this. He was clearing out the corruption from the temple. This place was supposed to be used to worship God, but it was being used in an unholy way. <clears throat> and as I was studying this text, I thought the reason that Jesus was so upset and drove people out was because they were ripping people off financially, making a profit off of people's needs to sacrifice an animal, to pay for their sins. And most commentators, though, most scholars believe that this was a, a reason, but it wasn't the most important reason. Most of the people I read agree that the main reason Jesus was upset was the fact that these people were not making room for people to come to the temple to worship God. Their tables, their animals, this marketplace that they set up was actually crowding out people from coming to worship. Verse 17 and 18, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they heard this. They began looking for a way to kill them, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And in reference to these few verses, Jonathan Parnell said this. He said, according to the prophet Isaiah's vision, eunuchs would keep God's covenant, and foreigners would join themselves to him, and the outcasts would be gathered with his people. And what Isaiah is referencing, the prophet Isaiah, a few hundred years before this, he said that all people were going to be welcomed into the family of God. They would have a place to worship God in the temple. But the place that this marketplace was set up was right where the court of the Gentiles was, was supposed to be. This was the place that foreigners would come to worship God, and it was overrun by people trying to turn a prophet. And it was not available for these people to worship God. 
So the vision that God had for his temple was to be a place where people from all backgrounds, nationalities, and social classes could come to encounter the living God. And this vision was not being fulfilled, and God had enough of it. Like the fig tree, it was green with leaves. It had the appearance of good things. It had the appearance of being busy and and teaching uh, uh, the, the law and teaching about God, but it had no fruit. It was busy with activities, ceremonies, rituals, but there was no room for people. And this was the whole reason that the temple existed. It existed for people to worship God. So this is why Jesus drove the people out and rebuked them for what they had allowed the temple to become. It had become not a house of prayer, but it was a place where they robbed the Gentiles who were non-Jews of a place of worship. So here comes the application for us. Have we done the same thing? Have we allowed the church to be a place where only certain people can come find rest in the presence of Jesus? People that aren't too messed up, the people who aren't too broken, have we allowed those people a place of worship? Jesus says that we are the church. Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, repented of their sin, we are adopted into the family of God, and he says that you are my body, you are the church. The people are what make up the church, not a temple, not a building, but us. Do we live in such a way that communicates the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to the people in our lives? Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? Do we continually become more like what Galatians 5 speaks of a person who has surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Is the, does their life produce the fruit of love? Does their life produce the fruit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control? Israel lost, what, lost sight of what fruit looked like. Fruit doesn't mean attendance busyness, or a production. Fruit is when people have a space for them to encounter the living God and in turn grow as followers of him, looking more like Christ no matter their background. So this is what frustrated Jesus the most, and this is why he responded in the way that he responded. The significance of Jesus cleansing the temple um, is that he was making way for the Gentiles, to have a place in God's family. And Jesus' work on the cross through his death and through his resurrection would be the beginning of the Gentiles having that opportunity by repenting of their sin and believing through faith that Jesus is a Savior. As you can imagine, the Jewish religious leaders and teachers didn't like this very much because it directly affected their profit margin. He, Jesus was challenging their authority. Verse 18 is actually the first time in Mark's gospel that the religious leaders vocalized their want to get rid of Jesus. They didn't begin conspiring openly. Verse 18 says they feared him because the crowds were amazed. They were afraid of what might happen if the people caught on to what they were planning because people were connecting to the message of Jesus. 
So let's finish with verses 19 through 25. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. I could just see him just being like, dude, check this out. That's pretty cool. That's what I would do. And Jesus responds, verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So here's a little fact. Normally fig roots would take a a few weeks to wither up and dry, but Jesus made it happen in the span of a day. And this was a symbol of what Jesus was doing to the temple. Jesus ends this interaction with the disciples by telling them that faith in God is what's important. Faith being this, trust, confidence, and reliance on something or someone. And Jesus uses a really common Jewish illustration of mountains being moved to symbolize the the power God has to work in a person's life. A A mountain moving was common to illustrate like a huge obstacle or problem. It was, it was used to describe, so when Jesus says, if you have faith that God can move this mountain, he's describing that you have faith that by the power of God, he has the ability to move obstacles and difficulties. And it's important, this is very important, it's, it's, it's important not to read verse 22 and make it, or 24 and make it mean what you want it to mean. It's easy to read that as whatever I want, if I have enough faith, God will, will give this to me. You can flip on a lot of channels on TV. You can go to a lot of sermons on YouTube. You can listen to a lot of different things. And this is a message that people will tell you. If you give enough money, you will receive the blessing of God. Just the other day, there was someone on TV. They were doing this like pledge drive thingy. He's a... I don't even want to tell you how much money he's worth. It's really insane. Um, But he said that um, the reason that Jesus hasn't returned is because you haven't given enough money. This is legit. The dude's worth like $100 million. But the interesting thing is, is if you read verses like this, it can be easy to think that, yeah, like if I just believe enough, if I give enough, then I can receive the blessing of God, but that's not what this verse is saying. What's being said is that God is the object of your faith and your prayer. God is the focus, not your wants and not your needs and not your desires. It is God's will that we submit ourselves to and come into alignment with, not the other way around. It's not we place our plan, we place our will and say, all right, God, can you do this for me? I want this. I have faith that you can do this. But what, what would happen if our will was aligned with God's plan? Prayer is strength for our faith. And prayer and faith are our strength to forgive others. When we pray and submit ourselves to God, our faith is built up. When we pray, we must extend forgiveness to others and not harbor unforgiveness 
in our hearts. And Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us tonight that, our, that your prayer is to be rooted in who God is. Your prayer to God is what keeps your faith and your trust fixed on him. When your faith and your trust is rooted in him, forgiveness flows from that connection because of the realization of how much God has forgiven you. And before we jump into our small groups, I want to leave you with one thought. The church exists for people from every background to have a place to encounter the living God. And remember what I said, the church is not a building. Yes, we call this a church. Yes, we meet here. But Jesus said that the, that believers are the body of Christ. And so are we creating spaces in our life for people to encounter the living God? Are we living in such a way that people have that opportunity to encounter God? So what we're going to do is we're going to go into our small group, spend about 20 minutes talking through some questions that will help us kind of process, like, what does this look like um, on a really practical level? What does this look like for me as an individual? What does this look like for us as a group. And so I want to release you to your small groups. Um, the guys are in the back. We still haven't found our small group signs, so we might have to reprint those. Um, but the guys are in the back. The girls are in the front. Um, high school is on this side of the room. Middle school is on this side of the room. And your small group leader will dismiss you at the end. <laughs>